we are walking through the Psalms. And through the various Psalms that we are going through, we are addressing the character of God, but also the template that the Psalms give us for praising God, as well as the permission that the Psalms give us for vulnerability. And this psalm is a great example of permission for vulnerability, as there are some, uh, some challenging things said in the psalm. It's a great template for praise, because there's a lot of praise involved in this particular psalm, and it gives us some space uh, to engage our own thoughts and, and feelings and senses as a whole person as we walk through Scripture and last week, we touched briefly on this idea that God is a friend. And that God knows everything that there is to know about us. Things like the amount of hairs on our head. Our thoughts before we think them. The things we say before we say them. The things we do before we do them. Even the subconscious things that we are not yet aware of but are informing how we function in the day-to-day. -day. And when our view of God is caring and empathetic and loving and kind and gracious, the depth to which God knows us provides comfort and a feeling of being loved. So if we have a kind view of God, One's filled with care and empathy and graciousness and, and, and kindness. Then we feel the comfort and the love at the depth to which we are known by God. But when our view of God is authoritarian in a negative and mean way, in sort of a, 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 a punishing way, then the depth to which God knows us could result in stress and anxiety and fear. Because it no longer feels kind, caring, and empathetic when he knows the hairs on our heads, the thoughts before we think them, the things we do before we do them, and the subconscious things that we aren't even aware of yet. So a mean view of God equals feeling fear and shame. So a kind view of God results in the feeling of comfort and love, and a mean view of God results in the feeling of fear and shame. And today we're going to continue the conversation that we started last week and talk about God through the lens of God as the creator. Both in our own created being and the creation of the world around us. So we're going to focus in on this idea that God is the creator. And what I want to do is walk through our view of God and how that impacts our view of self, and then some adjustments that may need to be made for us to sort of match those up a little bit more than potentially we've been matching them up in our lives. And oftentimes, that will need to lend to a space where we view ourselves in a more gracious and loving way than we have been if you would like a preview of the adjustments that we are going to talk about. And if I'm honest this morning, which I try to be every week, but anyway, if I'm, uh, this morning especially, uh, if I'm honest this morning, this is one of those conversations that, like, I feel at the beginning of. Sometimes I, I feel like I, I prepare something to preach, and I, and I think on it, and I pray on it, and I think this is like the fifth or sixth time I've talked about it. So I feel like I'm sort of like more in the middle of what I'm thinking on this topic. And, and this is one of those beginning topics, 
where you get to jump in at the beginning. So in a few weeks, months, years, we may come back and go, wow, can you believe what Pastor Emily said uh, back then? Yeah, because we're going to grow together, and we're going to have this conversation together because I in no way am even in the middle of this conversation for where my own thought process is. And so we're going on a, a journey this morning in particular together. The Bible has a lot to say about creation and our created being. Psalm 139, which we just read, says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now, there's a word in here that sometimes throws off our understanding of this particular passage in Scripture, and it's that word, fearfully. Now, most of us have read the, the version of Scripture that uses the word fearfully. And for the sake of today, we're going to make sure that we define this word very accurately, because uh, we do not want to translate it in any way as afraid, scared, or scary. And although some of us would sit in a space where we would believe that at some point maybe God's intention was afraid, scared, or scary, uh, that is simply not God. He did not make any of us to be scary, scared, or afraid. Fearfully means to be made with unique interest. There are no factories where humans are made and our design is never ordered in bulk. That is what this means. There is no design in the human function where there is a bulk order that has been placed by God. So fearfully means made with unique interest. And in the definition, when you're going through it, there's a little uh, tagline that goes with it that says, made also with mystery. Now, some of us can definitely get behind that one and be like, yeah, it's a mystery, all right. Like, I've been there. I know that for sure. It's a mystery. So it's not afraid, scared, or scary. It's a little bit mysterious and a lot unique. God created us with unique an individual interest invested in our unique design. Another place where our creation is discussed is in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So the Bible tells us that we were created uniquely, wonderfully, and that our created being is good. And most of us in this room would logically agree. There's a phrase in that first psalm that says, I know it full well. I know it full well. We would say, yes, I believe that God created me and that God doesn't screw up. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I know in my head that God made something good. And we would logically agree. 
But oftentimes the way we speak about ourselves, the way we speak to ourselves, the feelings we have about ourselves do not line up with the logical agreement with the fact that God created something good. How our subconscious world functions around how we view our own selves will tell us how well we have internalized that we know that God created something good. And how we view ourselves correlates with how we view God. But many of us were raised with or we came into at some point in our lives the wrong view of God's character. And if you grew up in a Christian home, there is a chance that John 14, 15 has shaped your view of God. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. How many of you guys have heard this verse, said it, it's been told to you, there's a space where John 14, 15 has been a part of shaping your view of God. There's a guy named Chris Hodges, he's a pastor in Alabama, and he does a course on just this one verse. So if you want it, um, let me know, and I will send it to you. But chances are that if you have grown up in the church, you have read that verse or had it shoved down your throat for a portion of your life, potentially since childhood. And this is especially true if you're raised in any type of fundamentalism, any type of particularly legalistic bent of faith. And this verse was most likely used in some way as a threat or understood as a threat. The if was a big if. And the then was guilt designed to prove through obedience that you loved God. Because if I did love him, then I would not screw up. Which leads to a space where we are constantly fighting to earn God's approval. Prove our love for God. Prove that we know him and that we care to follow him and keep the commandments. And then we assume that our ability to keep the commandments guarantees that God then in return will love us back. And this is what we call an if-then view of God. If I do this then this will happen. If I screw up, then God will punish me. If I obey God, then God will love me. And this gets deeper if our perception of God is as an angry God. And then it becomes, if you love me, then you'd better do what I told you to do, potentially followed by an or else However, God is not communicating throughout Scripture in a forced, angry, or fought-for obedience context here. He's simply saying, when you love me, then automatically out of that love will flow the commandments. When you love me, out of that love will flow the commandments. That's a pretty big difference 
from, if you love me, then you'd better do what I told you to do. But so many of us have grown up reading John 14, 15 in the, if you love me, then you'd better do what I tell you to do, that that doesn't even sound weird. It doesn't even sound off because of how many times we have internalized it in that way. So how do we know what our view of God is? An easy place to find out is when we pair our view of God with our view of ourselves. Because the fruit of the wrong view of God is shame. Adam and Eve in the garden, the moment they messed up, they became aware of their nakedness. The moment that their mistake met their perception of God as angry and mean, they experienced shame. They messed up, and now they have to earn God's love back. Many of us have that view or have held that view of God. When we mess up, then we need to get back on God's good side. But that requires the original thought process in our own minds that God is already mad at us. And that we get him to love us. And then he's mad at us again, and then we convince him to love us, and then he's mad at us again, and we go through life with that space of, if you love God, then you'll do what he says, and when you mess up, then you have to earn back a place where you love God and God loves you. Which then also lends to the space where if we mess up, then we wonder, do we really love God? And so our view of God can lead us to perfectionism. And perfectionism produces shame and self-criticism. Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is not encouraging. In no way is that encouraging. And the, the wrong translation of this potentially for our entire lives here, in terms of the word perfect in its relation to us, has in some ways led us to a space where we really live out our faith in Jesus through perfectionism, which results in shame. Because while God is perfect, it's really, really hard for us to internalize how his perfection translates to our perfection. Because we're viewing it through our lens of perfection. And this is really, really challenging for us to translate because we are uniquely aware of our imperfections. We can list them much faster than we can list our perfections. So much faster. And so often if someone were to ask us what we need to work on or what we're not good at, we could come up with a list a mile long really fast. And then someone would be like, well, what are you good at? And then we'd sit there and go, uh... I, I don't know, because it's really easy for us to pick the things that we're bad at and focus on our imperfections. And the need to be perfect is a exhausting, shame-filled journey. And remember that the fruit of the wrong view of God is shame. So if our view of God is that he is angry or negative or waiting to punish us, then our view of ourselves is that we need to be perfect 
in order to escape the punishment of God or in order to keep God happy, or in order to not have him be mad at any point in time with anything that I am doing or saying or thinking, and then it goes beyond that. Because we are created beings that are not separate. And so we cannot separate our physical bodies, our emotional thought processes, our triggers, our uh, hopes, our dreams, our soul uh, from each other. And so we can sit in a space where if we have the wrong view of God and we believe that a, a sin or a mistake, even if we didn't mean it, has the potential to make God mad, we will translate that to our entire being. And we will go from I made a mistake to I am. I did something wrong, I am. I messed up, so God is mad at me. So I am messed up, and God is mad at me. And we can walk through a conversation about I made a mistake, and I need to repent, But we cannot easily walk through a conversation where I am a mistake and repentance will not fix this. We translate this shame that comes from the wrong view of God to our entire created being. Every imperfection, from physical health to the thoughts that we think to how well we sleep at night. But the wrong view of God that leads to shame is just not how God views us. And we said this last week many times, and it might sound like a broken record if you were here last Sunday, because we're saying it again, but God is not a God in the sky with a hammer just waiting for you to screw up. And when you do, he considers the whole entire person a lost cause. His view of us is created with purpose, unique design, a dash of mystery, no amount of scary, scared, or afraid, and kindness, so much kindness, so much grace. More than we could probably ever imagine, because in our world, we just don't function with the amount of grace and kindness that God functions with. So how do we process our created being through God's view of us? And one is we start with the ditching perfection for kindness. Ditching perfection for kindness. We're usually better at doing this for other people. Ephesians 2, 6 through 7 says, And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. God is kind towards us, which means that we get to be kind towards ourselves. The second thing is that we can begin to ditch shame for grace. Psalm 34, 5 says, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So some questions this morning as we uh, go out from here. 
processing our created being through the goodness of God and the kindness of God is, is does my view of God lead to a spirit of perfectionism? Does how I view God lead me to be more perfectionist in how I look at myself? And then lastly, what is an adjustment that I need to make in order to view myself as God views me? What is one adjustment that I need to make to view myself the way that God views 